Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. This episode comes to you from Liverpool and London, where the UK screenings are taking place this week. TV buyers from all around the world descend on the territory annually for the BBC Studios Showcase, and in recent years a flurry of other distributors have seized on the opportunity to show off their own upcoming programmes to the community. The likes of ITV Studios, Banerjee, Fremantle, All3 Media, E1, Warner Brothers, Viacom, CBS, NBC Universal and Sony have all set up their own events. The C21 team has been out and about covering all these, including Showcase in Liverpool, which went ahead without its usually strong Chinese contingent as a result of cancellations caused by the coronavirus outbreak. The UK public broadcaster's commercial arm still announced a deal with Alibaba-owned streaming service Yoku, however, while other news from the event included an alliance with Swedish climate change campaigner Greta Thunberg. BBC Studios is under pressure to deliver as its pubcaster parent faces a squeeze from the nation's new government and a report out recently from the public spending watchdog said it was too reliant on titles that were more than 10 years old. The likes of Strictly Come Dancing, Doctor Who and Top Gear. In the meantime, however, they continue to do brisk trade and a new deal with Viacom 18 in India will see the latest season of the latter motoring magazine show air there, while back home, having apparently hit on a successful chemistry between its latest team of presenters, it's moving to flagship channel BBC One after more than 40 years on BBC Two. C21's Karolina Kaminska was at Showcase and spoke with BBC Studios Senior Vice President of Global Format Sales, Andre Renard. She started off by asking him about the keys to adapting Top Gear for the international market, the impact of global streamers and some of the new shows the distributors lining up. I actually think that it's about understanding the nuance of what the show is. And you've seen that as we've gone through iterations of, of, of presenters. And I, I think even the ratings of the show that's going out now, you can see, feels like we've hit the right moment with, with the presenters. You could probably talk to the top tier team directly about what makes that work for them. But for me, I think it's really important to say, you need to take those people out. What do you have? You have cars. You have comedy. You have camaraderie. You have competition. And, if you, and, and actually credibility too. And, and you think if you can find a group of people who have that, it's really important globally to differentiate those people so that they have something to have ownership of. I think once you can understand that in your own market, the rest of it's solid. So I think it's just about making sure people can expand their eyes. There's a, there's, there's a blessing in having gone through a, a number of people in the UK because we can see it does work in different guises. And once, in fact, it's helped us. We launched three new versions, or we announced three new three new commissions of Top Gear around the world, local versions in the Nordics, just in the last year. So we've got ten versions now that are sitting out there. Um, so I think now that people can see how it gets iterated, it's much easier. Um, and now that we've got so many world platforms mm-hmm. all around the world, um, obviously this means there's more and more platforms to sell to. Yeah. Um, has this increased demand for UK formats? Yeah. I, look, what's helped what it's helped us do is be able to spread wider the differentiation of the shows we have but it also means that we have to be better at coming up with ideas that work for them we're very lucky because we have BBC3 as part of our family who have been, now been online since 2016 and are now understanding what it means to be able to do that um, I, my opinion on that is, is coming up with stories that are about authenticity so we were really lucky last year we launched a show called Heartbreak Holiday I don't know do you know the show? I do yeah so really really great idea because what you can then show is that reality works on a public broadcasting because it's about authenticity 
Um, I think that's really nice. The other thing, we we're launching this week a show called My Mate's a Bad Date. So the story, apparently there's, um, there's research to say that two-thirds of people believe that we've lost the art of conversation. There's another statistic to say that on a first date, apparently you make your decision whether you like the person within 15 minutes. So imagine if you have uh, somebody who, who doesn't necessarily feel they believe or doesn't have the art of conversation, and actually they make a really bad impression in the first 15 minutes. This format is about helping them out. Someone nominates them to say, oh, Carolina, we're bad date. And there's a relationship expert who helps them. Just some simple tips like don't talk about marriage and children in the first 15 minutes or don't uh, do the splits. You know, things like that. That's the show. Um, but what's nice is that it's done with somebody who's an expert who's the same age as the people who are watching at home so that it gives them some warm, fun tips in order to find their way through. So that's been helpful for us. And at the same time, we still get to have juggernauts like Dancing with Stars or Bake Off. We're launching a great pottery throwdown this market. Another example of something that can be done on a linear channel. Yeah. And what's your strategy when it comes to selling formats to global SVODs? Um, do you roll out new formats country by country or with a company like Netflix for example, would you sell all global rights outside the UK to them? I, it's interesting, so Paul Dempsey, our president, um, had an interview that I just read this morning and I subscribed to what he was saying. One of the things he said is how important it is to be working with everybody but actually also how important it is to be able to come up with the right type of business model that suits both people. I subscribe to that as well. It depends on what's necessary for the, for, for the particular commissioner or buyer and also what we need to do. So some shows maybe we do want to have a global partner with it. Some shows we know the appetite might be local and we want to do it that way. I guess it'd be hard for me to say to you, yeah, we work one way. We don't. We're really open-minded about what that could be, and particularly with format commissioning. We have to be, because the whole thing is up for conversation. How many episodes are you going to do? What does that look like? Who's hosting it? How many hosts do you need? It's really important to have a good partnership in the conversation. So, sorry, it's, 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 it's probably not the answer you wanted, but it is true. It's really important for us to be able to be differentiating based on the customer. And where do you see the UK's position in the global formats market? Statistically, the UK is the number one idea generator for formats that travel globally. We still have that, for, by the last time I checked, um, we are still there. It's the UK's number one, Netherlands, the US all come up with ideas. So actually we still hold, hold the centre for that. Really, really nice to have good creative ideas coming from the UK. I always say it's ideas that seem simple, that can easily be adapted. Strictly is a good example of that, or Dancing with Stars. Bake Off is a really good example of that. Um, the Weakest Link is a really good example of that, and we've just seen it come back in five territories in the last year. Um, so I believe that we will continue to be able to be at the heart of creativity. My team's job is to see what's happening in the world and bring, the, bring those trends back in to make sure that we can still feed that appetite. What types of formats are particularly suited to travel and sell internationally? The shows that are in more than 100 territories remain the same shows and have been the same shows for a really long time. And predominantly those are big primetime entertainment shows. Yeah. Um, Dancing with the Stars is in 57, so we still have some way to go to get in, get into that top tier. Um, but a big primetime entertainment show is something that's always look on the lookout for our, uh, big broadcasters. However, there are only a finite number of primetime slots for those shows, so being able to find a new show to go in there is elusive. 
Um, you mentioned it yourself when you were talking about online platforms, because that's probably where we can get new ideas coming through. And now we're seeing, I, there's a show actually that we launched as a format called Astronauts, uh, World's Toughest Job, we, we launched it. It was on the BBC with Chris Hadfield, yeah? It's been remade now in the Middle East. We're talking about remaking it in three other territories. And it's, it, it's something I probably wouldn't have expected to be something that traveled. It felt quite uniquely British, or at least from a concept. But actually, if you strip it down, it's almost an Iron Man competition, Iron Person competition, with both physical and mental stimulation in there, with a unique idea of could you could you make it in space? Now, as a prize, can we put everyone in space? Probably not. But actually, there's a, there's a really interesting way that you can do it. I would never have thought that that would get adapted. But when you start seeing that trend come through, you, it makes it easier to be able to share those insights. And um, which territories? Are the, are the biggest buyers of BBC Studios content and have you seen, has this fluctuated at all over the years? From a format's point of view, I think we've found some good trends coming up. Like for like, European broadcasters have predominantly been looking to us for ideas. But we are now finding that there are great uh, scripted formats that can sell. So Asia has been a really, really good um, partner for us for a scripted format. So Luther has been in Korea. Um, there's been some shows that we've launched in Japan as well. That's actually been really, really helpful for us. And actually what we're finding now is as we're getting better and smarter at how we partner with people, shows are traveling more. Um, Bake Off is going to do its second season in Argentina. It launches next month. Um, we've had five seasons of Dancing with the Stars and Brazil. So uh, those markets for us are really interesting and I think it's a matter of making how do we how do we make sure we have the right shows for them. Um, so we've mentioned a few formats there. What other programs are coming up this year that you're particularly excited for? So we're launching a show here called The 1% Club that comes from uh, Magnum Media who are uh, partners with whom we work. Um, and it's a really, really great concept. It is a quiz show, but not perhaps as you would know it. You don't need to have any knowledge. So you don't need to know the capital of something. You don't need to know any history. All you need to do is look at logic puzzles that they have researched to find the likelihood that 90, 80, 70, 60, 50% of the population would get right. So questions like, um, how many times does the number seven appear between one and 100? I mean, I can tell you the answer if you want to know, but and a hundred people are in a room. They each have a thousand pounds. If you get the question right, you move to the next round. Yeah. If you get it wrong, you're out, and your money goes into a prize pot, and you're competing to become a member of the One Percent Club. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I'm actually really uh, excited about the Great Pottery Throwdown, which we're now taking out for distribution. I don't know if you saw here, there's a whole bunch of ceramics just by the theatre that's actually from the potters from the show. Um, so that's really nice. I'm really interested in my mate's bad date. I think it's a good compliment to a show we launched uh, recently called Hot Property, which is another dating format. I think it's a really, really nice compliment there, and it's nice to be getting things for younger viewers. Carolina also spoke with Doug Hope, Head of Development at BBC Studios Celebrated Natural History Unit, famed for series like Planet Earth, about new series Animal Impossible, a co-production with Chinese mobile video service Migu. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the impression that Animal Impossible is leaning more towards the factual entertainment as opposed to sort of a traditional documentary. Is the Natural History Unit, which is tr traditionally very blue chip, having a bit of a change of strategy or direction? Um, I, I, um, I think the most important thing with that is that we're not, not doing blue chip. I think, um, I think the key to it is that the natural world's amazing and extraordinary and all our ambitions is to make 
as many people aware of that and connect with it. And so therefore this is this is another stream to our bow rather than anything that we're you know changing or doing differently. It's just it's just another way of us get, getting out extraordinary stories. But it is I mean you're right, it is leaning into more sort of factual entertainment things. But the facts, the science and everything like that are still absolutely you know NHU to its core. So it's it's, it's different but a lot of fun. How different is it producing for that kind of slightly more fact tent geared show to something a bit more hardcore? Um, uh, for me personally it was uh, it's it was easy. I mean it's a breath of fresh air. I've done lots of kids shows in the past. We've done lots of sort of I've done dare I say even sort of light-hearted comedy shows with animals which is tricky in itself but um, but this was the best this was the most natural in terms of the boys Tim and Gendel are just um, um, just so curious and so entertaining together they are I mean you spend the whole time when you're rolling cameras when you're off cameras just laughing and enjoying their company so um, it's um, it, it's been absolutely it's been breeze really I mean it's been a lot of fun almost too much fun at times but um, yeah so we've taken to it no problem at all it's just an extra like I said um, if you're making entertainment it should be entertaining and so it's been that mantra's been all the way through everything we do really and the show is co-produced with Migu Video in China yeah. can you tell me a little bit about um, the BBC's connection to their company I mean Migu have been um, brilliant we filmed in China we went out and met them they're a very um, young team they're a very sort of excited team and they and just their enthusiasm behind it has been has been um, you know really great energy for us to to keep pushing the envelope pushing stuff out saying that they're not here they've seen a couple of shows it's um we still at times we sit down with them and work out you know what what, what shows their favorite but it's but it's been it's been uh, it's been no problem at all have you got any more projects coming up with Migu? Uh, not at present obviously everything's super quiet at the moment over there which is um which is terrible news and i obviously wish them all the best i hope they sort of get out of that as quickly as possible um but uh, I mean, we still want to do season two, season three of this. I mean, this Animal Impossible certainly hasn't run its its course. You know, what I mean, it's, we've only done one season. We're only just starting now to really to really set fire to it all and want to just carry on doing as more as we can with those. And now that there are more and more of these digital platforms around the world, and particularly um, SVOD services, mm. how is this changing the market from a producer's point of view? Wow. I mean, obviously, everyone wants. I mean, natural history is the sort of new rock and roll, isn't it? In terms of everyone, everyone wants it. I suppose. How will it change it? I suppose there'll be pretenders. There'll be lots of people wanting to, you know, jump on the bandwagon. How well they do it, and how how um, you know that kind of experience they do it. I mean, I, and to be honest with you, from an NHU point of view, a natural history unit point of view, I don't think we're that worried because you know we've been doing it a long time. We're, we're pretty good at it, um, as in world leaders of it. Um, we have a very strong um, integrity around our working with the natural world, um, and so you, you hope that you know our love of it and our passion for it stands makes our project stand out. So we um, we love it. I mean, the more the merrier, really, in that sort of world. How do you see the future for natural history and wildlife programming? Um, Sky recently announced that, yeah. it's, that it's launching a nature-themed channel. Um, is it becoming more popular and is it in higher demand? So, I mean, exactly. I mean, if Sky, you know, have announced that so recently, then obviously um, um, it is at sort of its, its peak or it's so important that people want to know. Um, I... 
the other thing about it, which I think lots, because obviously everyone's so worried about the youth, the younger audience, you know, the 16 to 34s, and one of the things that clearly demonstrates when we do our big landmarks on, on the BBC that, that the 16 to 34 audience are absolutely there. You know, we're not trying to woo them in or try and, they are there, they love it. So I think, weirdly, natural history does that thing where it is, um, you know, a-cultural, a-political, and, and sort of um, a-ageist, you know, I mean, anyone can enjoy it from from, um, from being, you know, two to 102, so so I I think actually, ultimately, it's just waited for it this day, rather than um, rather than something has changed, it's just, I think more people have just cottoned on to the fact that it's out there, as we become more aware of climate and the world, and actually, um, it, how precious, and also how wonderful it is. From BBC Studios Showcase in Liverpool, Carolina hot-footed it back to London and to the ITV Studios screening at the Roundhouse in Camden. The company's formats festival was first up and the firm revealed five new ones, including cooking competition show Rat in the Kitchen, quiz show Sitting on a Fortune and All or Nothing game show Revolver. Carolina spoke with ITV Studios Managing Director of Creative Networks Mike Beale and first of all asked him to expand on recent comments he made warning against a glut of mask-themed entertainment formats following Fox's success in the US with The Masked Singer, the South Korean format which ITV has also adapted in the UK. I think it's, I think it's about messaging the, uh, the phenomena in the right way. Uh, there's been some funny memes going around about mask strictly come dancing and mask this and mask that. So what I mean when I say that is, let's take the lessons from the mask singer, which are pure entertainment. Um, Glenn Hugo talked about it earlier. It's pure entertainment. It's it's a game. You know, the viewer is interacting with a a what is essentially a talent show in a very different way, um, and it's presented in a fun and light way. So you get that co-viewing, um, and you get the heart, the warmth, and the humour in a show and those are the three things that's what we should be taking from it not that just putting people in masks works so um, we, I, I said it in that piece we, we've got to take your hat off to what well, a uh, uh, the NBC guys for creating it Fox Robert uh, Fox for picking it up and, and sort of supersizing it uh, into the marketplace uh, and taking that risk and so we as producers and broadcasters as buyers need to sort of take those risks what we're creating needs to be riskier and um, uh, sort of challenge the what, what's become a sort of treadmill of ideas. And what about um, the masked dancer in the US on Fox? Which we'll see, won't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to see how the tree is going to dance, but um, I'm sure I'm sure they've sorted it out. Yeah. Um, but that that's what it's fine. You know, them doing it as an extension of their own show is fine. But I think if somebody else, if we'd gone in with a uh, a master, it just wouldn't have made sense. It's, it's what can we, like I say, it's the basics of entertainment that yeah. we need to grab. So I've seen obviously your, your format state for this year. Um, what do you think, aside from master shows, will be the biggest trends for formats in 2020? Uh, like I say, it goes it goes back to what I was saying about the it, it's It's humour. I think we're going to see, a, you know, the world is a uh, a troubling place at the moment and, and people I think are turning to to the screens for a bit of lightness so I think we're going to look for or we're going to see more humour but warmth and story I think that's what we're going to see I think we're um, 
I think broadcasters always, and they've always said, they need to get to the audience quickly. They need the audience to understand what the proposition, especially on new shows, what the proposition of the show is, um, so that they can turn it on at any point in an episode and, and sort of get, get into it. They haven't had to watch eight episodes to learn what the rules are. And so I think that's what we're going to have to focus on now, especially for, for linear broadcasters, is um, a very clear message, a very entertaining, humoristic approach. That's not to be different from comedy. Um, and and it, it needs to be very simple ideas at, at their heart. And I think it's what we do, what we do well. Are there any other Asian formats that, that you think are quite exciting that you could see? see ITV Studios taking on? Yeah, well, we're, we're I mean, I, I touched on it this morning, I mean, we're now going into the market in a very different way, where um, in the past we've been a fairly passive buyer of uh, formats globally for our production group, but as, as our, funny enough, as the UK market is changing and looking at international formats in a much more open way, as we've built our production base across the 13 territories and we've got capacity to do those shows. I think we're now in a position to go out and, and start looking at those shows like some of the other groups have done historically. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's any specific titles that we're going today that we must have that, but I, I think what I would say is we're definitely in the market and that is obviously a region that A, we're not in and B, uh, is very creative, uh, be it Korea or Japan, and, and now we're seeing China uh, From ITV Studios to Banerjee Group, the Paris-based company, which this week agreed a $2.5 billion refinancing package to pay for its acquisition of Endemol Shine, held its inaugural UK screenings event for distribution wing Banerjee Rights. Inigo Alexander was there and caught up with Chief Executive Tim Mutimer, while he wasn't able to talk about the Endemol deal, he offered a run-through of the company's present slate. So for us, 2020 is an incredible year because it's all we've just launched five brand new scripted shows at the start of the year, which I think is a fantastic thing to be able to do. And that's the result, really, of a strategy that we've had to, to get involved in more scripted. Um, so we've worked a lot with our own production companies. Alongside what you saw today, we've got joint ventures with um, UK production companies, so we're hoping to get some English language content from there. Um, we're investing. We've also got returning seasons this year. Um, Rebecca Martinson, Bang, you just saw there. Um, the Gulf, which we launched last year, that will come back for another season. So we've got, you know, a really great slate of new and returning content and quite a diverse slate as well, which I'm excited about. Um, so scripted, it feels like we're now kind of on the, on the map. Um, and in unscripted, yeah, we've done about 12 first look deals over the last year or so with production companies, mainly in the UK, mainly unscripted. And that means we're going to be getting a lot of content um, from them alongside, you know, the wealth of content that we get coming from our own production companies. So to, to join Temptation Island and uh, Wife Swap US and those um, big shows that we've got. Um, we get SASA Tough Enough, that's from a third party deal, but we've got some interesting new shows launching this year from some of the partnerships that we've made. Um, so proper content, we've got Segregation um, Experiment, which will launch on Channel 4 later this year, and that's a really loud, um, interesting piece of television, I think, that will be interesting both as tape and as a format you know, across our production footprint and beyond. Um, so that's great. Firecrest Films that we've just done a deal with, Glasgow based, they've delivered us an incredible kind of crime series which 
um, looks into the, the case of a, a girl that went missing um, but they tell it through not just interviews with the people that were involved they also show parts of the investigation that were recorded and the trial itself and that's something that you know cameras haven't been allowed into those trials before so I think crime has always been a really strong genre for us but to be able to do it at that kind of high level is really gripping storytelling and so excited that we're launching that this year um, and then as I said the kind of long-running shows um, the returns like Temptation Island are really key to us and to our buyers um, they're loud shouty and year in year out deliver audiences for people yeah and you mentioned crime there a lot of the, the clips that we just saw had sort of a Prominent crime elements. Is that something that you look for in the factual content as well? Well, we're, I think we're everything, so we have such a diverse slate. Um, crime is a, an area that our buyers look for, so we absolutely work with our partners on that, but we've got a really rich slate. So things from Portrait Artist of the Year um, to the, the, the reality kind of shows that we license, is, we, we've got something for everyone. And I, I noticed on the shows that we saw now, um, Thin Ice had sort of a environmentalism was at yeah. its core. Is that something that you've noticed buyers may be a bit more interested in tapping into now that it seems to be a bit more sort of in the public dialogue? Yeah, I think we were interested in that for, foremost because it was a really compelling story, you know. What we're looking for is something that's got pace, that's got characters, that's got intrigue and that feels a little bit original, a bit different. So that was our main kind of reason for loving that show. The fact then that you've got the backdrop of the Arctic and that it's a story that is really relevant today, that they're additional ticks. But I think you can't go for something that's just about the climate crisis because you think that's an interesting topic. It's got to be the full package, which this one really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of the shows as well were um, sort of multilingual, the, the yeah. um, GR, GR5, GR5 and yeah. French, Belgian, yeah. English, a little bit of everything. Is that something that you guys sort of purposely seek out because non-English language drama is sort of really picked up? Is that something that you did on purpose? Yeah, listen, there's certainly a bigger audience worldwide now for non-English scripted and I think the great thing about that is that you're getting different ideas from different environments which different stories so everyone's looking for something that's a little bit different um, but yeah English naturally creeps into a lot of those stories and it's that can maybe make it easier for an English speaking audience to to follow you know we just had huge success with Wisting in the UK that aired on BBC4 and was attracting about a million uh, viewers every week and that had Carrie Ann Moss in it and part of the dialogue is in the English language and that just makes it more accessible for English speaking audiences. Yeah, and looking forward to, to the next 12 months, how are you expecting the, the UK factual market to uh, develop? Is there any sort of any, any trends or any challenges that you can see? Um, I think you know we feel confident that with our own production companies and the companies that we are in partnership with we're going to play a role in distributing a lot of the great content that's being commissioned. Um, I think you know in the factual space what we're seeing we're seeing kind of loud shouty um, you know quite daring things coming out of the UK which I think the world loves um, because UK commissioners are, are brave and will do those shows like Segregation Experiment. Lodges is an interesting one that looks at a phenomenon that we have in the UK but is common in, in the rest of Europe and the rest of the Western world as well in that young people can't afford property in the cities where they want to work so an experiment whereby they live with older people that have got lots of space in their properties and that makes really interesting television so it's kind of really interesting ways 
of telling stories that affect us all. I think that's kind of a, a, a key thread that we'll see through, through that mission. And uh, Samir was just telling me this is the first London screenings you guys have done. Yeah. Is there is there a particular reason you, you figured you might as well jump on the London screening train now as opposed to wait for a series menu on TV? Yeah, I think partly because we had so much content to launch this, this, this quarter, so we thought this would be a great opportunity. Um, we've taken the decision as a business to have a lower profile at MIP this year. Um, so again, knowing that so many buyers were here, it's a great opportunity for us to, to see them and to see them early in the year. Um, so yeah, I guess they're, they're the key reasons why. And just to finish off, um, the, the big players that I mentioned earlier, the new streamers coming in, how are you how are you uh, planning to sort of work with them, compete with them, uh, survive them? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think they are an opportunity in that they're looking for content as well and whether that's from our production companies or whether it's people that we work with that maybe we can secure rights for part of the world for them. Um, so it's an opportunity to sell to, um, but equally the, our more traditional clients are looking to compete with them. And when you're competing with a Disney Plus and Apple TV that have got scripted shows that have huge, huge budget, budgets, rumored at like $20 million an episode, the clients to compete with that you know, have to go beyond their own domestic markets and look at well, what can we invest in that is going to stand up next to some of this content and that's where a, a distributor like us can really help and fund content that will compete with what people can see on those global streamers. Tim Mutimer from Banerjee talking with C21's Inigo Alexander. The UK screenings continue tomorrow with events hosted by Fremantle and all three media. If you're there, be sure to grab the latest copy of C21 International magazine and visit c21media.net for all the latest news coming out of the events and elsewhere in the global TV industry. Stay up to date with C21 also by signing up to our daily email newsletter and following us on social media. Until next time, thanks for listening.